Hi, I'm Carol Pope, and you're listening to The Stewie Tunes Show with Tony Stewart and Aaron Badgley. One of the best parts about doing a show like this is that you get to learn something new every time you have the chance to sit down and talk with fellow musicians. In the case of today's interview, I learned a lot about a style of music that I'm not that familiar with, but have a new appreciation for. My guest today is Bernard Fraser from the synth-pop group Church of Trees. Bernard is passionate about his craft and has decades of experience in the music, television, and radio industries. He's also a really interesting guy to talk to, and a huge David Bowie fan, as you're going to discover shortly. So, let's listen in on my conversation with Bernard Fraser from Church of Trees. Welcome to the Stewie Tune Show. These are insights and commentary on the music and musicians that shape our lives. And now, let's go back to class with your host, Tony Stewart. Hi, Bernard. Thanks for uh, agreeing to do the interview today, and uh, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. So, um, we're going to be talking today uh, with Bernard Fraser, and we're going to be talking about uh, his group, Church of Trees, and their album, New Bold Dawn. So, the first thing I wanted to talk to you about, actually, um, is, uh, you know, just making sure that you're doing okay during the pandemic here. Um, Are you doing all right? Everything okay? And you're managing and... It's um, an anxiety-ridden time, that's for sure. Um, we, uh, my, both me and my wife, work from home. So that part of it really hasn't changed very much. Uh, we're used to doing that. And, uh, but, you know, it's, it's going out into, uh, into the world and experiencing what's happening there and, and how everybody else is managing that. It's uh, uh, problem-laden, I would guess. You know, like putting on the hazmat suit to go to the grocery yeah. store. <laughs> so it's, it's not a lot of fun. And it's, it's difficult, too, because, you know, I have family scattered around Ontario. Um, my 91-year-old mother lives in Ancaster near Hamilton. And, uh, you know, I worry about her. I talk to her every day and I worry about the people that are that she's coming in contact because she is certainly one of the most vulnerable. Um, And I worry about my kids. Uh, My son works at Tim Hortons and he's working five days a week and coming in contact with all manner of people and who knows what he's coming in contact with. So it's it's a scary time. Yeah, it's interesting times for sure. Um, So we're going to be talking about, uh, first of all, Church of Trees. where does the name come from? I always love the story behind band names. It's fascinating. So, I live out uh, near Clayton uh, in the Ottawa Valley, and uh, we're surrounded by forest, bush. You know, uh, we were on ten acres of land, and we're we back onto thousands of acres of uh, of pristine forest. So when I sit here in my little studio. Um, and I'm tinkering around with uh, this tune or that, and I look out my window. Uh, I should back up and say, you know, I'm not a particularly religious person at all. You know, I've never really been into sort of a, a bona fide religion, but I am a very spiritual person, but my spirituality is more uh, engendered in nature uh, than anything else. So when I look out my window, I'm looking out at my church of trees. Oh, nice. So describe Church of Trees for me, uh, you know, maybe talk about uh, when you started that group and um, and then we'll move on to talking about New Bold Dawn, which is the new album. So, Sure. Um, Church of Trees is a, is a, um, 
a project that started in about 2016, and it started with, uh, it was as a duo with me and uh, Russell DeCarl of Prairie Oyster. His, his uh, uh, cousin, the younger cousin, Felicity, was the singer and co-songwriter. Now, um, uh, you know, I, I, speaking of Prairie Oyster, sorry to interrupt you there, but I just interviewed uh, Keith Glass yesterday, so. <laughs> it's a, a small world. <laughs> yeah, great guy. But anyway, sorry, go on, Bernard. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we, she and I started the band out in 2016, and it was really as a recording project. We were working with a synchronization house in Australia uh, to create music for TV, film, advertising, that sort of thing. Um, but as we sort of, as the project grew, I realized that it was something that maybe we should put out in the world as a bona fide band. Um, so we put together uh, a bit of a band and started touring. Um, but that lasted about six, eight months. We got the first EP out and uh, she said, Felicity started working with an all-female band called Sparklesaurus and was really getting into that. Um, and I didn't want to hold her back. So she went off to do that. Uh, and I went off with Church of Trees. And the second album that we did, The Dark and the Light, uh, which came out in 2018, was a, a compilation of songs that I'd done with um, great, uh, but more unknown female songwriters from Canada. Um, so people like Dee Dee Butters from The Peptides. Um, I had uh, um, Andrea Matchett, who's a, a lovely singer-songwriter from out uh, in the West End of Ontario, uh, and uh, several other uh, uh, singers and songwriters. And um, we'd finished that album, and I realized that, you know, it was a great album, it worked out really well, but the one thing I could do was perform live, because I couldn't get, you know, seven members, uh, seven, seven singers from across the Canada to come together to tour with me, so... <laughs> Um, I decided to look for a couple of singers that might sort of fill the bill in terms of doing some of the bigger songs and some of the smaller songs. And uh, I found Alison Stanton, who's a wonderful singer uh, from the Ottawa area, who great, great big rock voice, who could do all the Dee Dee Butters songs and that sort of thing. And uh, Tara Hope uh, from, she's near Arnprior, uh, who did, has a more elfin style voice and could do a lot of the songs that Felicity did in the in the first album, Primitive Creatures. So we started doing, uh, performing the, the first two albums live. And along the road, of course, as you do, you write more songs. And clearly, as we were writing songs, it was, uh, it was obvious that these two need part of the new Church of Trees unit. So we, we became sort of over time a solidified band um, in, in the latter part of 2019 and started writing songs for New Bold Mind. So uh, Church of Trees is called is synth pop. Uh, when did you start becoming interested in that style of music? You know, I'm approaching this interview uh, like a student because that's a that's a style of music I know very little about. So I was really looking forward to having the chance to talk to you because I love learning new stuff. So when did you start uh, getting into synth pop? Um, probably around 1975, believe it or not. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, bands like Kraftwerk, Can, Noi, um, are all, the, they're sort of the forerunners of the synth pop movement. Uh, and then, of course, with David Bowie producing uh, Low, which is clearly back to front synth pop. 
uh, that really spurred the movement. And then in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, bands like uh, Duran Duran, um, Soft Cell, OMD, um, The Cure, were all starting to produce, starting to produce uh, songs that were in this kind of synth pop vein. At that time, I think they called it more new romantic, but it's synth pop, you know, it's danceable electronic music. Um, so that's where it, it, that's where I became interested in it. Um, and then uh, the bands that I was working in, in the, in the eighties and early nineties were all based around this kind of synth pop style. Oh, great. Uh, so we're going to talk about your album, New Bold Dawn. And I really enjoyed listening to the album. And uh, the one thing that struck me was uh, there's a, a big variety of styles on there. I mean, even though it's synth pop, but uh, a couple of tunes that really stood out for me, Eyes Up, uh, just really caught my attention and got stuck in my head. It's got a, a nice hook to it. And then the uh, we were talking uh, via Facebook about uh, Lose It, the piano part in Lose It. That was really interesting as well. But I'm going to let you talk about the album, maybe discuss any overarching themes or what inspired you to uh, write this album. And we can talk about the cover after too, because it's fascinating. Sure. I mean, those two songs that you just mentioned, they're probably the least synth pop of all the songs on the album. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the album, uh, the genesis of the album was in um, fall of 2019 when we started recording. We recorded a song called uh, Eye on You, uh, which was uh, loosely synth pop with a kind of a rocky undercurrent. Um, and then we followed that up with a song called Heartbeat, which is very synth pop and clearly follows the kind of uh, New Order style uh, synth pop from the, the early 80s. The New Order, of course, is, a, a, you don't know, uh, was the offshoot of a band called Joy Division, which was a, a, a very integral band in terms of the post-punk movement. Um, so many bands got started because of uh, Joy Division. And Joy Division, the lead singer, unfortunately committed suicide. And then about six months after, they turned into New Order. And so a couple of the songs on, on, on New Bold Dawn are very New Order-ish. Um, the album sort of morphed into a, uh, a genre that was sort of encompassing all things uh, climate change. Uh, because I was very motivated by Greta Thunberg and everything she was saying uh, over the course of 2019 about motivating world leaders into taking greater and more immediate action on climate change. And uh, that's something that's very uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, so a lot of the songs, the lyrical content is about climate change. But then in uh, early 2020, uh, as we started hearing about COVID-19 and its effect in China and then starting in, in Europe and Italy and Spain and then creeping into the UK, I was becoming very aware of what was going on and it was uh, uh, very concerning to me. So I wrote a song called End of Days that captured the, my feeling about what was going on and how scary that was that we were on the cusp of, of a pandemic. And uh, we were, we actually, my singer Tara Hope and I were driving in to record another song called My Love uh, at the studio that we work in Skylark Park in Pembroke. 
And I played her the demo of this song and she really liked it. She said, we should add it to the, to the album. So we went in, we recorded the other song, came back and within one week of us recording that song, we in North America were in total lockdown. Um, and so at that point, that was a clear sign to me that end of days, number one, had to be on the, on the album. And number two, we had to change the course of the album, and which is when we decided to change the name to New Bold Dawn and, and give its path more leaning towards what was happening uh, in, the, in the world as it, as it was. I really enjoyed listening to the album, and I love, uh, you and I were chatting earlier, your description of it. You know, it's dark yet dancey, and that's totally accurate. It's a, anybody listening right now, uh, give this album a, a look, because it's fantastic. I was uh, blown away by the production, and uh, I, I enjoyed all of it, Bernard, really. It was Thank terrific. Um, the cover is fascinating. So where did, where did you get the inspiration for that? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm just holding, I'm holding, if you don't, uh, you're not seeing this on Zoom, I'm holding it up so Tony can see the album cover. Uh, the album cover is something uh, my wife, uh, who is a, is a graphic artist, uh, and I were looking for uh, ideas. And as, as one has want to do, you go out and you, on the old Google search and you look for, uh, for ideas. And I came across this picture of uh, a scene from downtown Toronto. It's at the corner of Church Street and Front Street, and it's a very uh, it um, it's a very historic building called the Flatiron Building, uh, also known as the Gooderum Building, um, and uh, the artist has taken the, this this epic picture and uh, redone it uh, in a very stylized fashion and put the building on fire and the street on fire and it's it's, it's as if uh, it's London uh, during the war after an air raid. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, that's what it reminded me of for sure. Yeah, and it, so it really spoke to me because it, it looked like how I felt about what was going on in the world. Clearly we're not, you know, dealing with flames and bombs and whatnot, but it feels like that you know uh, so we decided that that would, that should be sort of the basis and then I found another photo uh, an artist rendering I guess of the corona of the sun with this burst of this burst of uh, fire coming out from it and it looked to me like it was the breaking dawn so I thought if we if we um, um, mesh those two um, into a into a, a collage then it kind of gives you hope that beyond what we're going through, there is a new uh, a new world waiting for us. That if we take care of it properly, if we learn the lessons that we've learned over the past six months, that maybe we can make this world a better place. And that was the yeah. I'll put uh, I'll put that uh, album cover in the show notes so that people can see because it's a it's a fabulous uh, bit of visual imagery. Now, Bernard, we're going to take a, a quick break here. Um, I have a segment called the Music History Moment, so we'll take a short break and do the that, and we'll be right back. For today's musical moment, we're going to go back in time to July 13th, 1985. On that day, the Live Aid extravaganza, held at London's Wembley Stadium and Philadelphia's JFK Stadium, kicked off at 12.01 in the morning and was broadcast via satellite to an estimated 1.5 billion people in 160 countries, making it the biggest broadcast ever known up to that time. In support of African famine relief, the event featured a who's who of the biggest names in rock music, including Paul McCartney, U2, Queen, Led Zeppelin, Hall & Oates, and of course, 
David Bowie. And that's today's musical moment. Now, let's get back to the show. And I'm back with Bernard Fraser from Church of Trees. Uh, so Bernard, I had some questions. Again, as I was mentioning earlier, uh, because I'm approaching this like a student, um, I have always been fascinated what a live Church of Trees performance would look like. Because, you know, with synth pop and stuff, like I, I'm, my style of music that I play is totally different. So I, I'd love to hear about that, like how you put together a live show with a synth pop group. I, I'm fascinated to hear that it's it, it's likely to be the exact opposite of a somerset combo band concert. yeah <laughs> yeah because rick and i show up and he plugs in and i get out the horn and there That's we right. go <laughs> we have a lot of technology supporting us to be honest with you um it's not my preferred way to perform uh if we had the money i would like to be able to hire all the people we need to be able to perform this um off the floor um, but we don't. So a lot of it is um, technology that's, it, I mean, there's a lot of stems that we trigger from the computer, uh, as well as playing live over top with various keyboards. Um, the new formation, which was supposed to happen two months ago, and we're actually supposed to be in, in uh, the UK right now performing, um, would be with um, a guitar player and uh, also a drummer, so that uh, as much of it as we could reproduce live could be reproduced without, you know, the expense of having, you know, two or three different keyboard players and percussionists, etc. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's uh, me with a lot of synths, uh, with a lot of computer-driven technology, with uh, three singers, me and two other singers, a guitar player and a drummer. Oh, neat. So uh, you're talking about England. Uh, you are going to be doing a, a tour of England about right around now? Yeah. yeah. And where, where were you going to be playing? Um, so we had planned to be playing in London for a couple of dates, uh, then up in Manchester, then over to Liverpool. We get, uh, the primary place that we get played really is the UK. There are about six or seven different stations that play us quite a bit, um, as well as in, in France and Germany and South Africa, if you can believe it, as well as across Canada and in the States, but primarily the UK and Europe. So that's why we wanted to focus on that because that's where our primary audience is and we really wanted to capitalize on it. So Bernard, you must be a mind reader because you gave me a perfect segue into what I was going to ask you next. So I see your posts quite often about uh, charts, uh, you know, your chart position on, on different charts in different countries. How, how does that happen? So how do you, uh, how does your music get out there? Because that, again, that's a fascinating uh, topic for discussion, especially it's, it's a very different ballgame today than it was even 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So how do you get the music out there today? Uh, it's a tough slog, Tony. Uh, it takes a lot of work and it's something that I had to learn from the ground up. Um, you know, I come from back in the day when, you know, the, the focus was to find some kind of independent record company or some kind of label that would be interested in you or a manager or agent who could connect you with a label or something so that, you know, there was a machinery that kind of sucked you into it and spat out all the appropriate components to get you played on here and promoted there and playing here and, and whatnot. Um, but as you point out, uh, it's a brand new world. Um, I started out in 2016 following a lot of people that I really 
had high regard for as artists and watched where they were getting played and who they were getting played by and how they were connecting with those people. And I started connecting with those people to find out if they would offer me that information. And if they did, then I could sort of follow that up. And one of the key people that I was following was a, a fellow uh, by the name of Richard Citroen. And Richard was in the band The Diodes, a Toronto punk band from the late 70s, early 80s. So if you remember songs like I'm Tired of Waking Up Tired or Red Rubber Ball, that's The Diodes. Well, uh, come around to the year 2000, Richard realized that there was a whole world of electronic music that he was fascinated by. And he started a band called Lola Dutronic. And so uh, fast forward 16 years, I'm following Richard and following his, his success with Lola Dutronic and uh, typing away messaging to, to Richard saying, how did you get played by this guy? And where did you find out about that? <laughs> and he gave me all this wonderful information that started me off. Um, and then it just, it exposed me to this huge world of alternative radio. Um, so independent radio, um, um, campus radio, community radio, internet radio, all these wonderful places that were not commercial radio, that were just open to independent artists and helping them in any way they, that they could. And, and uh, that's, so I was, I went on a trek to find as many stations uh, like that, that played my kind of music. And that's the key is finding the stations that play your kind of music, because if you don't, you're wasting your time and they get really upset about that. <laughs> so, um, and uh, that it just, it, it compounded. So, and now I've got people, like tons of people coming to me to say, how did you get played on there? And what do you do? And I feel like I should put a workshop on <laughs> trying to get radio play in, in the 21st century, because it's, it's not easy. No, you know, you, you, what you're describing uh, just totally reminds me of the process that I'm going through with this podcast, right? Starting it from the ground up and wow, what a learning curve. And uh, yeah. it's a it's a slog as well, you know, just finding listeners. And and I really appreciate you taking the time to come on because it, uh, that really helps and it's fascinating. So I have a few more questions for you. Yeah. Uh, maybe so far for Church of Trees in your journey with this band, wh what would you say, you know, your favorite moment or favorite highlight? Do you have one that comes to mind? Um, not one above all else, that's for sure. Um, I think that we, so we, we've seen sort of three phases of future trees. There's the, the Felicity phase, the uh, dark and the light phase, and now the new gold dawn phase. Um, and there have been highlights in each of those. Um, I think in the very first phase, Playing the Black Sheep Inn in Wakefield was a, such a highlight because it's such a renowned little venue. Uh -huh. um, and uh, to, it, it just felt like a real honor to be playing there, you know, considering all the people who have walked on that stage in the past, you know. And it was a, it was a very sort of reverent moment when I got on stage and started setting up my gear, you know. Um, so that was, a, that was a real highlight. Um, I think in 2019, uh, we got to play a couple of, of gigs in, in Toronto that were uh, really wonderful. And on one such occasion, uh, it was, we have a, a group of artists we call the Synth Fam. 
Um, and let me explain what that is. So there's a, a, a whole cadre of independent art, synth pop artists who know each other. And we, we are from disparate uh, locations around the world, uh, from California and Colorado to the UK to Germany to South Africa to Australia. And we all, we, somehow we've come together and become this sort of group, this family, and we support each other. And um, so we, we comment on each other's posts and we support each other's albums and we promote each other. And it's such a wonderful community. And one of the uh, places we played uh, in Toronto last year was called The Painted Lady. And one of my dear friends, Lance Pilon of a band called The Great Disorder showed up uh, as well as Richard Citroen of The Diodes and Lola Dertronic. And it was so heartening to see people who uh, you work with virtually every day and get played on all the same stations around the world. But showing up physically at, at a concert was just, it was mind blowing. And uh, it, it really uh, brought tears to my eyes, to be honest with you. So that was a real highlight. Oh, that's a great story. So we were talking um, last week and I just released a, uh an episode a couple days ago of the podcast and it's commemorating the 25th anniversary of Jagged Little Pill and you said that you had an Alanis Morissette anecdote and I'd love to hear that. My former life, <laughs> I was a TV producer for CTV and uh, Life Network as well um, and I worked on several morning shows at uh, CTV as well as the Dean Petty show um, and produced some documentaries and music specials and that sort of thing. And I was working uh, as a producer on a morning show called Eye on Toronto. And as you do, you get, you know, every week you get dozens and dozens of requests from record companies and press agents uh, to promote their artists. And one of the artists they were promoting was a, a woman called, was a young lady called Alanis, who was a dance artist. And honestly, at the time, I had not heard of her. Um, and they sent along her latest album. And this is, sorry, I guess, around early 80, sorry, early 93. And they sent along the album. And it was, you know, cutesy, dance pop kind of stuff. Yeah. Big, big hair stuff, you know. Yeah, okay, well, this is cool. And she's, she's Canadian. She's from Ottawa. Uh, she was on this uh, CTV show. Oh, gosh, what was the CTV show? It was a kid's show she was on. Oh, you uh, can't and do I, that on television. You can't do that on TV. And I recognized that. And I thought, well, this will be fun. Let's have her on. <laughs> and so I, I brought her on and had a chat with her. And you could tell that something was bubbling up. You know, I mean, she had the big hair and she was still in kind of the dance thing. And she was quite young. I, she was, what, 18, 19 at the time, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but you could tell that there was a seriousness about her and there was a determination and there was a need to go completely left of center from what she was doing. She was not clearly content with what was happening, but she happily did it. She would go, she went on, she sang her song, she was very bubbly, she was great in the interview, but off, off camera, you could tell that there was something happening and she was ready for a change. And it was what, 18 months later, Jagged Little Pill came out. Yeah, and what, a, what an incredible achievement, like 21 it, years old when she wrote that album. And so completely different from what she <laughs> was doing. So completely different. Like I blew my socks off. So, I mean, all power to her. She's brilliant. 
Yeah, and I the one of the things I mentioned in that episode was I didn't like that album the first time I heard it, but I, you know, I I made the comment in the episode. I said it was just me as a listener not being ready for that album because it was so far ahead of its time. It was an incredible achievement for sure. So Bernard, yeah. uh, this has been really fascinating, but I think it's time if you're ready to do the uh, Stewie Tunes quiz. Are you ready to take a crack at that? Hit me. Okay, so. Let's uh, let's get started. Now, I'm a massive Beatles fan, so I have to... I know. <laughs> uh, full disclosure, at the high school, I taught Bernard's kids, and they learned an awful lot about the Beatles in music class. So, okay, who's your favorite Beatle? So, um, it's a tie. I'm sorry to say, it's a tie between John and George. Okay. Um, and, and all power to Paul. Paul's a brilliant songwriter, but... Here's why George, and then I'll tell you why. Here's why John, and then I'll tell you why George. John was so raw and so transparent and so in your face that I really admired that quality. And he was that way on and off camera, you know, whether he was writing a song or he was in real life or he was uh, commenting on something a reporter was asking him. He was always authentic. He was, he shot from the hip and he never strayed from that. And I so admire that. This is the guy who wrote the song Mother and it doesn't get more raw and trans- transparent than that. And man, John is my hero. Uh, George, on the other hand, he was like the soul of the Beatles, you know? He was the glue that bound them together. And beyond that, he was such a brilliant writer. Um, you know, the, mm-hmm. he, more beautiful music came out of him in a couple of years than has come out of anyone in centuries. You know, the the song Something still brings me to tears. So it's a tie. Yeah, George was mine. I think, you know, when this pandemic is over, they should be playing Here Comes the Sun everywhere. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Okay, next question. So the best live show that you've ever seen. Well, I've seen a lot of great shows. Um, I mean, I've seen a lot of shows uh, over the years. Um, living in Toronto, of course, you know, you, everybody comes to town, right? So um, I, I saw pretty much everybody. Uh, but honestly, the best live show, the, left, the best live performance I saw was in March of 1977 on a very bitterly cold night in the east end of Toronto. And my friend Brian McDermott and I who lived in the extreme west end of Toronto, traveled multiple buses and subway routes to get to Seneca College in the east end to see Iggy Pop and David Bowie together in front of an audience of 1,500 people, believe it or not. Wow. We got in and opening the show was a band we'd never heard of because in in early 1977, they hadn't released an album yet, Blondie. But Debbie, Harry, and Blondie open the show. They're playing, you know, great early, late 50s, early 60s songs like Palisade Park and that sort of thing. And we'd never heard their originals, so we didn't really pay any mind to it. In the transition to Iggy, um, they, you know, the cleared, they cleared out. They put up these big, big uh, uh, gates around above this 15-foot perimeter around the front of the stage. The lights went down, and I said to my friend Brian, I've got to be up there. I will, number one, David Bowie's my hero. So uh, full disclosure, David Bowie's there. I'm going to be there at the front. 
Iggy Pop had just released a, uh, an album called The Idiot, which was mind-blowing. I loved all his early stuff with the Stooges, but the, the Idiot was so different and so interesting and so unique that it, it just it really captivated me. When the lights went down, I jumped the, 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 um, the, the, guard, the guards around or the, the uh, fencing around the, the, the stage, passed the security guards, raced to the front, uh, about a hundred people saw what I was doing, raced after me, jumping over the guards, <laughs> guardrails into the, so I'm at the very center of the stage, rammed against the front of the stage. Brian finally makes his way in, in front. The lights go down. As soon as the lights come up within inches of my nose, Iggy pop leering over top of me. And he stayed there for the entire night. And he was mesmerizing. There was there was no lighting effects. There was there were no props. Uh, it was just Iggy in full Iggy regalia, doing oh, wow. what Iggy does best, just captivating the audience. And he's racing around and he's gyrating. He's climbing up the lighting rigs and jumping off the lighting rigs. And 15 feet to my right is my idol, David Bowie. Oh. For the for one hour and a half, I'm surrounded by David Bowie, uh, Iggy Pop and Hunt and Tony Sales, who happened to be the sons of Soupy Sales. So they, wow. were, they, were, they were the rhythm section. So it was an amazing concert. What an, what an incredible night that must have been, yeah. Now, I heard, I heard that Iggy is, uh, works for the BBC as a, some kind of radio host right now. I don't, I don't know if there's any truth to that, but... Uh, He's been doing a podcast. Uh, I don't know if it's specifically for BBC or not. I haven't heard it yet to be to, truthful but i i know that he's doing something um and iggy you know does what iggy does and he just yeah. he is so he's so worldly but so off balance at the same time you know he's very <laughs> well read he's very literate but he has this really bizarre uh look on on life in general he's kind of like the um johnny rotten in that sense you know he sort of looks at things very differently all right next question so who's the performer that you most wish you could see or, you know, wish you ca could have seen if they've passed on uh, live? Um, there are a couple, because as I said before, I've seen a lot of bands play, uh, particularly living in Toronto. You know, everybody walk, comes through the city. Uh, this is a band that came through the city several times, but for whatever reason, I never saw them. And I don't know why, but it was Queen. Hmm. I wish I could have seen Queen. Freddie Mercury was a godsend. Such a brilliant voice, such a brilliant songwriter, such an amazing performer, and Queen in general. I mean, I've been listening to, to Queen since 1974, since Sheer Heart Attack. And uh, how I missed them, I have no idea, but I will never have the chance. So yeah. I miss, missed out big time. All right, question four. So who is the underappreciated or unknown performer who you think everyone should know about? There's two. Okay. Um, the first is Jeff Buckley. Um, Jeff Buckley, very tragic, a brilliant, brilliant writer, singer, performer, uh, who released only one album called Grace back in, what, 94, uh -huh. uh, and tragically died in the Mississippi River uh, while he was recording his second album. Uh, and the story goes he was in the Mississippi River uh, they were his uh, one of the roadies was out there watching him and he was he was singing the chorus of whole lot of love 
and brilliantly, I'm sure, because the man had such an angelic and beautiful voice, but got swept in by an undertow or something and succumbed to the river. And uh, we lost a major, major talent. The man, I think, given another five, ten years, would have been sweeping the charts. He was brilliant. Um, the second is Brian Eno. Uh, Brian Eno, gosh, what can I say about him? He is so renowned for changing the face of avant-garde and experimental music with uh, his many, many uh, solo albums. He was brilliant uh, as a performer with Roxy Music back in the early 70s, then started his own experimental music and avant-garde music uh, with his solo albums and morphed into becoming one of the greatest producers of all time, producing how countless U2 albums and uh, uh, I mean, you name it, he has, you know, who he's produced. Uh, and also uh, with his many art installations. I mean, he's a real Renaissance man. He really has changed the face of music of the 20th and 21st century, and very few people really realize that. All right, and final question on the quiz. If you could choose one musician or band uh, to come over for dinner, so you're having a dinner party, uh, who would you invite and why? I love this question. Uh, no question, hands down, David Bowie. Okay. Um, I mean, I've been following his career since the early 70s. Uh, he talking about talking about Renaissance men. He was the Renaissance man of the 20th century and 21st century. Uh, every album he put out was a thinker. Uh, it, 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 uh, uh, I have reveled in everything he's ever released musically. I've reveled in his art. I've reveled in his philosophy. He has the most incredible or had the most incredible book collection. To be honest, one of the most literate uh, rock and rollers ever. Um, and I would love to be able to sit down and just pick his brain and find out who the heck he's hanging out with in heaven. Because, man, that's a question I need to answer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Bernard, uh, thanks so much for joining me today. Uh, you know, it's never easy meeting via Zoom. You're always at the mercy of technology here. But uh, I'd love to, uh, you know, once this pandemic is over, I'd love to do another episode and actually sit in the same room and chat and uh you know, maybe do a follow-up episode because this was a fascinating conversation and I uh, learned a ton and I think my listeners will too. And I really appreciate you giving me the chance to interview and thanks so much for coming on. Oh, it's my pleasure, Tony, and I would look forward to doing that. All right, so take care. And that was my chat with Bernard Fraser from Church of Trees. If you can, check out the album, New Bold Dawn. You'll be glad you did. What really struck me was the variety of the music and how well produced everything was. I thoroughly enjoyed listening to it, and uh, I really appreciate the amount of work that must have gone into that project. Not only is Bernard passionate about what he does, but he's also a genuinely nice person who is extremely supportive of others. I'm grateful that he took time out of his schedule to do the interview, and I'm looking forward to sitting down with him in person as soon as we're able to. As always, thank you for listening, and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can also visit the show's website at stewytunes.com. If you know of a family member or a friend who might enjoy the show, please pass the word along. As always, the music for today's episode was provided by my good friend and musical partner, Rick Denis. I'll be back soon with Season 2, Episode 5, but until then, stay safe, be well, and see you next time.
Thanks for listening to the Stewie Tunes Show. If you're enjoying this show, don't forget to click subscribe.